everybody's talking about all the stuff you need to do now, yet you know most of the time the thing you should do is absolutely nothing. Study after study shows the thing a great advisor brings to the table is convincing you that holding the line is the perfect thing for you to do. If you've got your asset allocation plan, your diversified approach to your money, stick with it. That's Joe Salcihai, host of the most popular personal finance podcast in the country, Stacking Benjamins. On this episode of Your Money, Your Wealth, he does his best to explain the value of having a financial planner while attempting to be nice to his biggest fan and stalker, Your Money, Your Wealth host, Joe Anderson. Joe and Big Al talk about what the Department of Labor fiduciary ruling means to you. Al has 10 steps to get yourself ready for retirement, and the fellows answer your emails about saving for retirement as a self-employed person and whether you should talk finances with your girlfriend before moving in together. Now, here are Big Al Clopine CPA and a guy you really may not want to meet at a party, Joe Anderson CFP. We're going to have like an interesting show today. We're taping this very early because Big Al is going on vacation. <laughs> True. Where are you going again? Paris? Paris for two nights, and then we're going to go to Greece for a week-long cruise. So a week on a boat? Yep, week on a boat. Actually, it's a sail cruise, Windstar. It's a small, I mean, for a cruise, it's 175 people on it. It's not like a 3,000 Have you ever done that line. before? I've done a, the 3,000-person cruise <laughs> in the Caribbean. But no, I've never done a, a, a smaller cruise, and never. that's the only other cruise I did was in, in Caribbean. Did you get like a recommendation to do this? We did. Our travel agent who uh, did it. There's still travel agents out there. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Joe, and I, I know you don't really like to travel internationally much since <laughs> ever since I've known you, it's never happened. So I'll give you a little tip. It's a little more complicated yeah. when you go overseas. And it's kind of nice to have, I mean, you can do it yourself and we have done it ourselves, but it's, I really appreciate the, the details that the travel agent knows that there's no way you would know unless you've been there. How do they get paid? Is it like just a percentage of what the total package is they, or something? Yes. They, well, no. it's 5,000 bucks. Do they say, well, it's going to cost you. So they they X. get the hotel pays them X, and the tour companies pay pay them a certain amount of money. I'm not sure if the airlines pay them or not. I, I think maybe they do. I think certain things they don't get paid on. So where they uh, our travel agent usually charges us an extra hundred dollars just for all the other stuff. But yeah, they're. But t- you're not seeing it out of pocket. No, no. Got supposedly it. it doesn't change the cost of the hotel. It's just that the hotel doesn't get quite as much. And I guess their rationale is they're not doing all the the legwork because otherwise you're calling them and saying, well, what kind of hotel do you have and what kind of you know all that stuff. So that's already being done by the travel agent. So right. it saves them personnel. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, congrats. That's, Thanks. Uh, gotta be careful. Yeah, overseas in Paris. Yeah, yeah, sure, Greece. Yeah, there's a lot of um, funny think, things going on in the world yeah, today. Kind of, yeah. But um, speaking of funny things in the world today, we have seen that transition. We've been working on these transitions. Now. Okay, right. We have the DOL. Yeah, here's the headline from CNBC: Your retirement savings will undergo a major change this week. It's the what's called the best interest standard. It simply means that those that uh, give advice, those advisors that give advice on your retirement plan or your IRA, have to look out for your best interest. And and this is kind of a staged thing, Joe. It's uh, on June 9th. The financial advisors uh, they have to charge no more than reasonable compensation. They're not allowed to gouge you. Uh, they're they're not allowed to uh, say misleading statements, <laughs> and perhaps most importantly, uh, the advice that's uh, provided needs to be in the in your best interest. I mean, all these things are quite obvious, sure. But yet the industry is is fighting it like crazy because a lot of the industry is selling you product, and a lot of it's good product, but some of it is very high commission. Product. So how do they regulate it? Well, they have what's called the the best interest contract exemption, meaning that there's certain things that you have to do to make sure that you're following the rule. So most of the meat of this actually happens on January 1st of of next year. And furthermore, uh, the uh, Secretary of Labor, Alexander Acosta, he uh, he actually said that even though this goes in force on June 9th, that the uh, the Department of Labor will not enforce it until. Uh, January 1st. So there's not much teeth in what's happening. But nevertheless, the um, 
advisors now are supposed to act in your best interest, and they're they're not supposed to gouge you on fees, and they're not supposed to have misleading statements. All kind of normal stuff, right? right, right I mean, right, it's right. not not that complicated. I mean, we can go into what that means, but it's 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 not much more complicated than what I just said. It's 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 giving you, right, the the client giving you the best advice that's possible, the best that in your best interest. It's not selling you the product that's going to make me the highest commission. It's it's But get, it's only on retirement accounts. It's not just, on any other assets. That's Why true. do you think that is? Uh, good question. I'm not sure. Do you have a thought on that? Well, I think what, and this is just my opinion, is that you take a look at most people are not necessarily prepared for retirement. And on the other side of the argument is that, all right, well, millions of Americans will not get the financial advice that they need uh, to have a successful retirement because of this rule, right? And some people will say, well, how the heck, are, well, how could someone say something that stupid? And the fact is, is that, well, there's a lot of smaller retirement accounts. And let's say you have, you want to save 100 bucks a month, or maybe you have $20,000. Right? These big brokerage firms, I mean, if you take a look at the big brokerage firms, they're not going to take accounts under 500000 bucks. Right. You know what I mean? Or maybe even a million dollars. And then, so there's another tier of advice that people will receive if you have less than that. And for these advisory firms to have any type of profitability, there's other products that they can potentially put them into that might have a front-end sales charge, you know, 5.75%. So you're putting in your $200 a month, and the advisor or the broker or who or the representative, they're taking a look at, all right, well, what's the appropriate al- asset allocation? You know, how much money should you be saving or how much could you be saving? Should you put it into a Roth IRA or 401k plan? Should you put it into whatever, right? Or maybe just a brokerage account. And then so they're doing some legwork, hopefully, for that particular person. I would say still 95%, 90%, right, of all advisors in uh, the financial services industry are, are, are really good people really trying to help an individual accomplish their financial goals. There's some, of course, bad eggs, and there's bad eggs in every single industry across all industries. That's very true. Right? And so the argument on the other side is to say, all right, well, all these other individuals that have smaller accounts are not going to get the appropriate advice, is what that argument is. Because it's like, well, I can't help you. You don't have a million bucks. So where is that individual going to go then? Right? So they're going to be then on their own trying to figure out what their appropriate asset allocation is, right? and then how much money should they be saving, and things like that. Now, there's all sorts of other tools that are coming to the forefront, which I think is fantastic to help these individuals, but I still think there's, there's a lack of information and knowledge for these people to get access even to cheap, let's say, computer advice. Right. Yeah, you're right about that. There's what's called... And it's not even advice. It's just an, it's an allocation it's, it's, um, it's device. A, yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of a bit of a, of, a, of a wave, I guess, in our industry called robo-advice or robo-advisors, and that's what you're talking about, Joe. But it's still a business. You've got these venture capital companies of are putting in billions of dollars sure. into this, and so you could see a lot of these robo-advisors blowing up and failing because... Because it's like, all right, well, we can't get enough people to invest their money at, you know, 25 or even 50 basis points. Right. So, all right, well, you got to cover a billion dollar cost of venture capital money, and then you get these accounts that are 10, 20, you know, thousand dollars, and then they're charging 25, 30 basis points. Those companies are not necessarily going to to excel either. Yeah, I, I, so this, I, I would agree with you. The, the, the whole fee thing, I get it. You want to control the things that you can control. And of course, our firm is we're fiduciary. We've started as a fiduciary, we've gone lengths to eliminate a lot of the conflicts of interest in our business such as having competent advice, such as certified financial planners. Our advisors are paid a salary. So it, it's not based on you know how many um, clients they have or rev- you, you know we're trying to separate a lot of the BS that goes on. but it's still people need help. And so it's like, well, where are they going to go to get the help? Because as you and I know very, very well, what's the average balance of retirement accounts? How much are people actually saving? What's going to happen when the baby boomers now drove into retirement with $50,000 to their name, thinking that they can provide themselves a retirement income that they can last another 20, 30, 40 years? So... There's, there's, there's two sides, though, I guess, to every coin, but I think the really good news is is that there's some sort of standard to make sure that you can weed out some of these really bad products.
products that I think are getting sold. Because if I have, let's say, 50,000 bucks and you meet the salesperson down the road that doesn't necessarily have the credentials, doesn't have the competency, doesn't have the experience, and then putting them into, you know, very high commission products because at, you know, 50,000 bucks, if I make a 15% commission, all right, I'm all good. On, on the advisory side, if, you know, you have $100,000, all right, well, let's say they charge you 1%. All right, well, you, you know, you're, you're making a couple hundred bucks a quarter because they're usually charged quarterly. Right. So they have to work really hard to make sure that they can keep your business, that they have to make sure that they're adding value on an ongoing basis, you know, or else you'll just move your account and say, you know what, I'll, I'll try to do it myself. We've had such a big run-up in the overall market since 2009 that I think there's a ton of overconfidence in the overall people's ability to do this. How are you going to create the income? What assets do you buy? What assets do you sell? What is the tax? implications of the income that you're going to receive. What's the estate planning look like? Do you need insurance? I mean, there's a lot larger list, I think. Going back full circle to, I guess, my thought on why they're not looking at non-qualified or brokerage account assets is because the average individual does not have brokerage account assets. I would say more higher net worth individuals or people that saved more money have assets outside of a retirement account. You and I see it, right? If someone comes into our office that has a million dollars outside of a retirement account, they're either very diligent savers, they make a lot of money, right? Or they sold a business, right? Maybe they had stock options through their employer or they sold some real estate. Yeah, or they inherited money. Or they inherited money. Sure, that would be another one. But you're right, that's unusual. Usually the majority of liquid assets are in retirement accounts. You're right about that. Most. And then even millions are in retirement. 24 trillion are in retirement accounts. Right, right. right? And so I think they're looking at, hey, we need to protect these particular individuals. Because if you do have a brokerage account and you have assets outside, maybe you already have a level of sophistication when it comes to investing that you know you're getting taken advantage of by some schmuck that has whatever license that is trying to jam you into whatever product. Right. All right. I'll buy that. Anyway. (laughs) Your Money, Your Wealth brings you actionable advice to help you invest and retire successfully, but that's only part of the equation. How do you leave a lasting legacy for the ones you love? Learn 10 gruesome estate planning mistakes to avoid at our free webinar, Tuesday, July 11th at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. Visit purefinancial.com slash estate to register. Nicole Newman, attorney at law, and Joe Anderson, CFP, will answer questions like, should you have a will or a trust? How do you protect your assets from probate, in-laws, creditors, predators, and the expenses of long-term care? How do changes in estate tax law impact your existing estate plan? Visit purefinancial.com slash estate to sign up now for our free webinar, 10 Gruesome Estate Planning Mistakes to Avoid, Tuesday, July 11th at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. That's purefinancial.com slash estate. One last thing on this whole fiduciary thing. Okay. Is that people wear two hats. And now people are marketing themselves because of this whole DOL rule. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I interviewed an individual. Right? He's like, yeah, I work for a fee-only financial planning firm. Sounds great. Okay? So kind of going into the details of everything, and guess what else they sell? You know, they sell annuity products that are fixed annuities, right? Fixed indexed annuities that are outside, you know, the scope. So they're kind of, it's not under the securities license. It's not under the SEC. It's not under any, it's under the the, the state insurance boards. Right. So they could say, yeah, I'm a a fee-only fiduciary financial planning firm, but then also I can sell you other type of products that are not regulated under the Securities Exchange Commission or even FINRA or any other regulatory agencies that that monitor you know the securities business so there's always going to be these little sneaky smoke and mirrors type things that happen so our advice is always do the right due diligence you want to make sure that you ask the appropriate questions how are you compensated are you compensated in any other way than from uh, your <clears throat> Your clients, what licenses do you hold, right? So you just ask some better questions. But still, I think people will hire an advisor based on relationship, not necessarily the competency, right? Big Al's a very smart person, but if he had zero personality, it's like, oh, God, now i got to go see Big Al, right? 
It's like, no, man, this guy's killing me. I don't understand a word he's saying because he's so technical and the jargon that he's doing. But Big Al might be really trying to help you as best he can. But if he can't communicate that in such a way that you understand it, that you feel confident in his ability. Yeah, and we've, and we've seen people like that. Oh. Very smart individuals that just, they don't they don't have any kind of bedside manner. They don't they really can't articulate in a manner that, uh, that, that people can understand. Right. It's like, really? This is all you have? <laughs> yeah, come on. No, you got to be a little gentler. Here. Yeah, right. Well, Joe, going back to this article from CNBC about this uh, DOL uh, ruling, and I think there's that what they suggest is asking your advisor just a couple simple questions to find out what kind of advice you're getting. And, and the easiest one is, how are you paid for your services? That's a very simple question. And what you're looking for, or the, the, the cleanest, the best answer is, is fee only. Uh, not 100% fee- of the time paid 100% by the client. And they're going to say fee-based, and that's going to be a little confusing. Uh, but fee only is where they only get paid by directly by you. They get paid, they might charge you financial planning fees, they might charge you a fee to manage your assets, they might charge you a flat rate, but that's that's the fee. You know what it is. Yeah, it's you, transparent. It's you disclosed. know what you're paying. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The other way they could say Just is, like your travel agent is very non transparent. It's very difficult to know. I, <laughs> yeah, I pay him a hundred bucks. I yeah. It's all it's almost free, Joe. <laughs> I did ask her and she did tell me, but they, they don't come outright and say that. Right. right. You know, because I had when I bought my home, I was like, man, I don't know how to, you know, buy furniture and things right. like that. So I, you know, um, a friend of mine said, hey, you know, I know a couple uh, ladies that that can help, you know, you know, just point you in the right direction to decorate. It was like 150 bucks, and then she's like buying all this furniture and things like that. So I got a bill I paid for on the furniture, but I'm like, well. Th- you were in my house for like three weeks straight, and all you made was a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm like, come on, is, is there's something else. It doesn't going make on sense. <laughs> right. Here's another question to ask: is is where do you keep my assets? In other words, is there a third party custodian like TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity? What you don't particularly want is an advisor that's going to house your assets. Then there's no third-party checks and balances. Right. I wonder how many firms still have true custody of clients' assets. Well, not many, but certain kinds of investments like hedge funds and things like that, they'll have custody. And the problem with, and I'm not saying hedge funds are necessarily bad, uh, although as 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 a group of investments, they haven't done that well over the last five years or so. But that's, and, and you know, this is extreme, but I'm going to say this anyway. That's what happened with Bernie Madoff. He, he had, he custodied, he was a, the custodian of your assets and the asset manager, meaning that he could print out whatever statements he wanted to to show you your rate of return, which is exactly what he did. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're writing a check, the assets are going to, he, he's the custodian. You want to look at a large custodian, such as Fidelity. TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Pershing, you know, huge, huge companies. You want to get that statement from that particular, if you're working with an independent, you know, fee-only, let's say, advisor. They're not tied to the big brokerage um, houses. They're not tied to the big banks. Some people feel comfort in that because, hey, you know, you work for this big company that I see the commercials and everything else. Who the hell's, you know, who the heck is... You know, peer financial advisors. I don't know that from a hole in a wall. How right. big are you? How long have you been? You know, so it's a little bit different experience for some people because it's 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 different, right? We're not tied to the big banks. We're not tied to the big brokerage houses. You're hiring us as a fiduciary to take a look at your overall situation. We're going to charge you a fee to help you get you to where you need to be, but you know what that fee is. And then the assets that you would um, have a, a, a firm like ours manage would be at Fidelity or TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. You know, purging something, uh, something of that effect. Yeah. Another question you can ask is: Are you a fiduciary? A fiduciary just simply means that that advisor has to give you the best advice for you, not for them, but has to look out for your best interests. And if you get a kind of a wishy-washy answer, that's a that could be a bit of a red flag. Well, there's some other things that you can do to really understand um, if they're acting as a fiduciary. You know, so what other licenses do you hold? Right. So if they brokerage licenses, you know, so back in the day, I had a series seven, series 24, series 53, 51, 63, 
and I don't know something else. Right. An eight, insurance. I think, whatever. And then yeah, then uh, then I had an insurance license. We got a real estate license this day. <laughs> so, but we got rid of all of that because it's like I don't have those licenses anymore because I don't need them. You need those licenses to purchase stocks or mutual funds for commission. All right, so you're going to be that broker. Someone comes in, I would like to buy this stock. Sure, I'll I'll sell or buy the stock for you on your behalf. And then there's a, a spread there. There's a, a commission involved. In, and then so that a broker would receive that commission. That's why you need those licenses. So with a fee-only advisor, th- 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 there's none of that. It's like, here, I'll be your private shopper. We can go into the marketplace for you to find the best solution. And then I'm just going to charge you a fee for it. It's been three decades since the last major tax reform, but this could be about to change in a major way. That said, the president and the Republican Party are still divided on a number of key policy questions. Visit the White Papers section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download the White Paper Tax Reform, Trump versus the House GOP, for a deeper look into the proposals. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Are your tax strategies at risk? Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Alan Clopine. Yes, that's I'm very me. excited right now. <laughs> me too. We got a great guest. His name is Joe Salcihai. And he started Stacking Benjamins. It's a podcast. And I got a little confession to make. Okay. So I'm a big fan of the podcast. Sure. So I listen to it on my way to the gym. I listen to it on the way to work and so on and so forth. You're, you're obsessed. I, I am. I, it's awful. <laughs> it's almost scary. Right? And I just listen to it and I, I go to bed to it. It's it's awful. <laughs> so so I'm listening and, he, and Joe's going to this conference. Right? And I'm like, oh, interesting. I wonder what's, where, where this conference is going to be. And then he's like, hey, we're going to be in San Diego. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, boy. Now you're stalking him. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> so, right. So he, he's, he's like, hey, I'm going to host this party at this rooftop deck at the gas lamp. Well, I, I lived downtown San Diego for how many years? Right. Lots. And I'm like, well, I only, there's only really one nice rooftop deck. So you figured it out. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not that hard. I'm not, you know, I'm not that smart. So. Right, and I'm listening to it, and it's like, and it's Friday while I'm listening to this podcast, and he's like, "I'm going to be there on Friday," and I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to go." So I'm not part of the conference, right? And then so I work a little bit late. We do the radio show, and then I go down, have a couple beers, and I'm like, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to." And I grabbed Rob with me, who works with us. Sure. So I go to this bar, right, Rustic uh, Root, right down on oh, Gaslamp. Yeah, you bet. So I pop up, and then I'm like, "Oh, well, there he is." <laughs> There, so I had to have another beer, get my courage going, because, you know, I'm a pretty shy guy. Then I went up to him. I was like, hey, Joe, are you Joe? And he goes, yeah. And I go, hey, I'm Joe. And, so, and then I was starstruck. So without further ado. That was, that's all you could say. Yeah, that's it. And then I was just, hey, can I buy you a beer? Right. So um, I got Joe Saul CI on the line. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. The good news, Joe and Al, is that the restraining order's on the way. <laughs> I think that's a good call. In fact, you probably shouldn't come to Southern California. Just, just saying. Right. I mean, it's it's Friday night. You don't think I have something better to do? No, it's, I'm stalking Joe Salcia. It's, uh, it's why you're single. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh well, Joe, tell our listeners here. You started this podcast, Stacking Benjamins, which I think is phenomenal. It's a personal finance. What what is the genesis behind the podcast? And tell us a little bit about it. So, uh, th- thanks for having me, by the way, guys. I, kn- I knew this was going to be fun. <laughs> but we, you know, on Stacking Benjamins, there's so many people out there that are giving great advice about money that I really didn't want to compete in that department. I just wanted to have a surround sound kind of show like Car Talk. You know, if you're familiar with NPR's old Car Talk with Cook and Clack, you listen to that show. It's a phenomenal show, ostensibly about cars, but you n- you never learn anything about a car. And that's kind of our mantra is that if you learn on anything listening to Stacking Benjamins, that's your problem. (laughs) Our goal is headlines. It's a magazine-style show. We have great discussions just about current events and financial planning and and making sure that people have the type of great help that's out there and that they don't get, you know, they don't get waylaid by some of the people that are a little sketchier than they should be. You know, you were in the industry— uh, for what, 16, 17 years, and yeah. you just said, hey, I had enough? 
Yeah, you know, th that's kind of a funny story. So I loved financial planning. I was, uh, I owned an Ameriprise franchise, actually, and I did media for Ameriprise. I was one of 12 advisors in the nation that were allowed to speak on behalf of the company before going through compliance. You guys know what a bear for those companies' compliance is, right? Yeah, everything we talk about is always hypothetical or allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when we, we, I met this client last week, hypothetically. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, and that's also the funny thing about about compliance is that I've become the master at talking for an hour and saying absolutely nothing <laughs> because that's well, we, we, we're, we're pretty good at that, too. It's <laughs> got that down. Yeah. But but, but we um, I, I had a mentor who was kind of the one of the regional management guys, and he wrote a letter. And you guys know that in the financial industry, in the trenches, you don't write a letter saying that you're leaving the company. You leave at midnight, you take the client files, and 6 a.m., everybody's calling to see who keeps the client, right? Right. Uh, so, so, But he didn't do that. He said, listen, I work way too many hours to know what I really want to do. I like financial planning, but I don't love it. And I think unless this reincarnation thing is true, I only only have one shot to do this. And that really spoke to me because I do love financial planning, but I thought there were other things I wanted to do. I wanted to become a teacher. He used this phrase where he said, I have other mountains to climb. And what's awesome about Chris is that he he climbed Mount Everest twice after he decided not to do financial planning anymore. And that just hit me hard. And so I was turning 40. So I sold my business, went to school to become a teacher. And then I realized that the teaching I like doing is all about money, right? I mean, I'd love the money teaching stuff. Just being in the trenches, working with individual families was fun, but not not the grind that I personally was looking for. So that's kind of how Stacking Benjamins was born. It allowed me to talk about money in a way where we kind of learn through play. You know, uh, Joe, that just inspired me. I just turned 40. And I think- and You're gonna climb Everest now? <laughs> I'm writing a letter over the weekend. <laughs> Pick up more mountains yeah. to climb. Oh, I'm out of here. Why don't you start with Cal's Mountain in San Diego? <laughs> oh. T take you 20 right. minutes. Oh. Do that or buy a Corvette. <laughs> oh my! So tell us, you know, with uh, the the genesis of the show, you, how long has it been? Um, like you're the number one ranked uh, financial podcast. How did that happen? I don't know. It was amazing because we just Kiplinger just called us number one last week. Art of Manliness, which is a big site for men, just put us on 27 podcasts that men should listen to. And, uh, and I have no idea how that happened. You know, I think you just if you make no matter what you do, whether it's making widgets or making podcasts or doing your radio show, being a financial planner, whatever it is, if you build something that, that is the kind of thing that you would like, and then you just hope like heck there's people as weird as you that like the similar stuff, then I think good things happen. Because all we've ever focused on is just trying to put out the best product that we possibly can. And, 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 and people, seem, people seem to come. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world today. And money is such an emotional um, part of people's lives. And for your podcast, when people listen to it, I think it eases some of that emotion. You know, because when you just hear the dollars and cents and, you know, inflation is going to, you know, wipe you out and the stock market's going to go to zero and you got to buy gold and everything else. But when you listen to your podcast, it's like, I'm learning something. This is fun. And you know what? I, everything will be okay. But you guys know, you guys both know, because I hear it on your show, that that it's all behavior, right? There's all this noise going on. You've got all these big media, you know, CNBC, Fox Business, and they all have these talking heads. And everybody's talking about all the stuff you need to do now. Yet you know most of the time the thing you should do is absolutely nothing, right? Study after study shows that that the the thing a great advisor brings to the table or that that a great mentor, a great coach brings to the table is convincing you that holding the line is the perfect thing for you to do. So if you started a workout program, sticking with it. If you started a diet, stick with it. If you've got your asset allocation plan, you know, your diversified approach to your money, stick with it. And uh and it's so sad because we get letters all the time, like you guys do, about people that the trap they fall into is they let somebody convince them that this that sticking with it wasn't the right thing. Right. There's a study that was done, um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this study with uh, uh, soccer goalies, right? 
And so, so they looked at, all right, so let's say you, you have a penalty kick, right? And the goalie's there, and that kick is coming at that goalie so fast, they have no idea if it's going to go right, left, or center. And so they did a, a statistical analysis, and if the goalie just stood there and did nothing, they would save more goals. <laughs> but, right, could you imagine a penalty kick, World Cup, and the, the goalie just stands there? <laughs> you would get fired. I mean, people would, like, freak out. But they have to dive, and that's why I'm like, well, why is he diving right when the ball went left? Because they have no clue. It reacts. So with being a goalie, you have to react, or else, you know, you look like you're not necessarily doing your job. And I think that's true with investments. When you hear, hey, you know, markets are at all-time highs, interest rates are at all-time lows, what is going on with this election, tax rates are going to change, and so on. So people feel that they have to react to that. To your point, Joe, it's funny. I had uh, I had uh, a trainer at near the end of my first year as a financial advisor who said something that I still think today, I thought it was horrible at the time. I I still think it's horrible. He said, because the market was kind of shaky at this at this point, and he said, listen, when clients come in and the market's shaky, you got to move something. And I said, yeah, but we set this up because it's the right thing to do. He goes, yeah, but your goal is to stay hired, right? Your goal is not to have good financial planning. Your goal is to stay hired. And if you don't move something, then they're going to fire you. And I thought, I thought, what, what, what horrible advice just to move something just, just to make sure that I keep my job. Like if I'm really good at my job, I've got the guts to sit in there and look my client in the eye and say, you know what? We set this up for a reason. And now it's time for the, the, the battle to begin. And, and we do have to stand here. So but I can just imagine that soccer goalie saying, well, coach, you know, it was the right thing for me. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, uh, coach, you, I, I saved the ball. Right. <laughs> Who cares? You look horrible. <laughs> you look like a moron. Move. <laughs> oh, boy. So, <laughs> you know, there, there was a study done, too, um, on financial advisors, right, um, since we're ripping on our profession. And they looked at right after 2008, 2009, and so they, then this was a recent study. I think it was just a few years back. And then they asked financial professionals, hey, have you changed your investment philosophy after 2008? And what do you think most advisors said, yes or no? Oh, it's got to be yes. Yes, of course. It's like 90% of them, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I've changed. So what are they doing? They're buying high now. If they would have just stayed with their strategy, uh, it's like it's so funny. It's like you didn't have confidence then. Why, why, why would I stay with you? If you yeah. didn't know what you're doing then, how do you how do I know what you're doing now? If you have no clue really of how markets work and correlations and uh, diversification, blah blah blah. But it's you know they they felt that they had to move because in the, like advisors were having uh, like P PTSD, <laughs> like you should not be in the business. I I think it is fun to rip financial advisors because there's some that are really bad. But I'll tell you a lesson that um, that I heard far too often was people would would say, well, you know what? I had a financial advisor. They stunk. So I'm not doing that. And every smart person I ever had, Joe, when I was when I was an advisor, every smart person that was a client of mine was somebody that could have done my job on their own. But they always went to an advisor because they needed somebody good looking over their shoulder. It's just don't have one that sucks. Right. You, you don't say, well, I tried to drive that car and that car wasn't driving straight. So I'm not driving cars anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't make sense. And there's certainly enough uh, people. We could just rip advisors all day. But there's also some excellent people out there in the business who I really look up to. You know, and um, I, I know you got to go and, and we, we blew up our clock here, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Dr. Uh, Daniel Crosby, um, I heard him on your show. He was actually on our show just a few weeks. Actually, after I heard him on your show, I called him to book him on my show. <laughs> yeah. So just keep on getting good guests, Joe, because I'm just going to just... <laughs> Joe, he just steals. We steal everything from your show. So all your guests, they're coming here. Yes, right. That's great. Welcome to Stacking Hamilton. <laughs> Right. That's right. <laughs> oh, you, just wait for it, brother. Just wait for it. Oh, so you know, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, so he was talking to all right. The, the the benefit that a financial advisor brings, and so they 
they surveyed a lot of really good financial advisors. And the financial advisors were saying, you know what, I think the biggest value add that I can bring to my client is to make sure that they stay on track, that they have the right financial strategy in mind, that when they get emotional or they want to do stupid things, we help them and consult them to make sure that they don't run out of money. right? So uh, uh, the majority of the advisors felt that that was their main purpose. But then, then they asked the client, right? And I think only 6% felt that they needed any type of that coaching whatsoever. So there's such a huge disconnect within the industry itself. It's like, because that, I, I wholly believe that is true, that the, a good financial advisor is to help people accomplish their goals through good times, bad times, and so on. But there's so much overconfidence on the other side of the table. It's like, well, I don't need that. I need you to help me pick the best stock. And I mean, seriously, I mean, it, 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 yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think it takes a lot of guts to hire somebody who's going to be your own personal Gordon Ramsay, right? I mean, I think it takes guts to be the type of client that wants to hire somebody who's going to say, you know what, Al, you really messed that up. You stepped in it today, big time, pal. And and it's hard for advisors to do that because like, you know, my trainer said my first year, well, you don't want the client to fire you. But I found the more blunt I got and the more I just challenged people about their thinking when I disagreed with it, the more people wanted to hire me. And that's probably who you should be looking for if you're out there searching for it. That's Joe Salciha. Go to stackingbenjamins.com. Please go to stackingbenjamins.com. I am telling you, um, I I love the podcast. I stalked this man. (laughs) So... (laughs) And, um, hey, thanks for the beer, by the way. And the T-shirt, I wear it every Saturday. (laughs) He's he's lying. He wears it every day. Yeah, I was going to say he probably hasn't washed it yet. (laughs) (laughs) It still has your stench on it, Joe. I I can't. Well, Stacking Benjamins is not that great a show, but it's a hell of a lot better than this one. (laughs) That's our new slogan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll be back in a second. Can your portfolio stand up to a stress test? Find out. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner who will stress test your portfolio. Are you on track for retirement? How much money will you need in retirement? How much income can you get from your portfolio? What social security strategies are available to you? Are your investments aligned with your goals? Stress test your portfolio. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. In handy bullet point format. This week, 10 steps to get ready for retirement. You ready for retirement? I am not ready. Not even close. Okay, here's what you need to do. Step one, according to AARP, define your retirement. You probably have some kind of idea how you'd like to spend your retirement, but Here's where you should write down what your objectives are, what your goals are. And here, at this point, don't focus on the budget. What do you, what do you want to do? What, do? what are your goals? And try to be as specific as you can instead of, I'd like to travel. Maybe something more like, I'd like to take trips to the ocean, or I'd like to walking tours of, in foreign countries, or, or whatever it may be for you. And the suggestion in this article, Joe, is to try to limit it to your top five goals. I mean, you could spend days, weeks, months on this, but let's not get too carried away. Let's just come up with some of the top goals. It doesn't mean this can't change. Of course, it can change at any time that you want to. But the idea is you quantify what, what some of those big picture items are for you to kind of start framing your retirement. This is very difficult. I mean, myself right now, just listening to that is <laughs> difficult for me to even comprehend, to be yeah. honest with you. Do you want to do walking tours in foreign countries? <laughs> no, no, not really. But, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I'm 42. So, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to identify kind of what my retirement's going to look like. But right. we have conversations, Al. I mean, all right, so now you just turned 60. Correct. So it's like, can you see yourself retired? I mean, you, you, you got, you're a hard charger. You'd like to do, I mean, we love what we do. We so do. It's, yeah. it's a little bit different. I, I guess, think, what is that going to look like? I, know. I mean, I need hobbies because I'm so entrenched in this business <laughs> that it's killing me. So this weekend, I bought a new set of golf clubs. You did? Yes. Oh, it's well, been we'll, about we'll play golf. Man. Yeah, 15 years I play, since I've... I played golf on Sunday. We'll get you out there. Sure. So it's like, okay, I got to think of something, you know, to, right. to start building some hobbies. Right. You know, versus, you know, reading, you know, financial planning books on the weekends and, you know, things like that. <laughs> 
But as, well. as, as we talk to successful people that sure. you know might have the budget in line, that have the dollars and cents in line, sure. but it's like, now what are you going to do? Right. Right. I don't know. Right. You know? And that's where you got to start thinking about that. And, and so the suggestion is come up with the goals. Don't worry at this point about what they're going to cost. We're going to get to that in a minute. The second thing, Joe, is to take stock of your assets. And that's kind of basic, right? Let's figure out how much money you have in the bank and how much money you have in retirement accounts. Um, maybe even look at your non-traditional assets like... Um, I don't know. What if you what if you like to restore cars? Maybe you got some value there, sure. or your hobbies, or if, you know, if you have hobbies, is that something you could actually turn into an income stream in retirement? You know, kind of kind of take a look at, at I guess what you got. You know, that's you know that's that's kind of basic, right? We all got to do that. Step three is evaluate your health. Now is what it says. <laughs> to get the most out of your retirement and life in general, you want to be as healthy as possible, and. Uh, well, few of us enjoy doctor's visits. A little pre- preventative uh, medical attention can go a long way. And what the suggestion is, is uh, uh, I mean, this is true for everybody, but especially as you get close to retirement, go ahead and do a, a, your annual physical, You know, have your teeth checked, all kinds of things, and, and come up with a plan with your doctor or medical professional on how you can maintain your, your current health or how you can improve it if you need to improve certain things so that you can live kind of that life that you, you want it to live. Right. In, I mean, I think with a lot of people with their health, it's the same thing with their finances. They don't want to go to the doctor because, you know, hey, I, I know I'm not feeling that great. There's probably something there, but let's not. I, I don't want to know about it. And same with my finances, you know, well, I hope, hope everything's going to work out versus getting in and, and, and saying, all right, well, what do I need to do? Right. And here, here's the three big ones. We already know what they are. Eating healthy. Sure. Exercising. Yep. And getting enough sleep. Done. Done. That's all you got to do. It. You don't need a hundred books on how to get healthy. You know, that's a multi-billion, <laughs> billions dollar industry is this weight loss and, yeah. you know, but yeah, three things. That's it. But, uh but to kind of to kind of make this real i mean um if it's if it's eating healthy well there's certain healthy foods that you just don't like but there's other ones that you do so all right well let's focus on those and certain kinds of exercise that you enjoy more than others maybe you enjoy going for a hike or walking on the beach more than running on a treadmill at the gym i mean what whatever 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 it is for you and and also commit to staying mentally sharp and some people like to use brain games puzzles and books and other people just like to stay engaged with others or or learn read books or, or learn something new. Uh, I, I read a book by John Wooden uh, on mentoring, and he was 96 years old when he wrote it. And the main takeaway I took away from that book was that he was constantly learning at age 96, and that's what kept him sharp. And I think that's true for all of us. All right, number four is determine when to collect Social Security. Boy, that's a loaded one, and we've done entire shows on that, but just some basics. Your full retirement age this year is 66 years and two months, but you can take it early, as early as age 62. You could take it later, as late as age 70, and any month along the way. The, the point is, the sooner you take it, you're going to have a reduced benefit relative to taking it later. And here's the quick numbers. If you And I'll just make it simple math. A lot of you will have more income, but just you'll understand. If it's $1,000 of Social Security income at full retirement age, we'll just say it's 66 to make it easy math. You're going to get about $750 a month at age 62 if you take it then. And you'll get about $1,320 if you wait till age 70. So it's a pretty big difference. And a lot of you, you're receiving benefits of over $2,000. And so it's it can make a pretty large difference in your overall retirement. Right. And, and there's so many different factors that you have to look at there, too. It's like, well, are you married? Are you single? Were you married? How long were you married? What was your um, spouse's benefit? Did you have a survivor benefit? How about the spousal benefit? What's your tax situation? What's your other assets? What's your longevity? What's your health? What's the long-term goal with the money? Do you need the money? Do you not need the money? Do you take it and spend it? Do you take it and invest it? Do you have other assets? Do you think that the system's going bust? What's your personal preference? How do you feel about not having that guaranteed fixed income sources as soon as you retire versus creating the income on your own and pushing it off to get a higher benefit later. I mean, yeah, it's that loaded question for sure. Right. 
Another one, Joe. Uh, step five is to is to make sure you network with friends or acquaintances or new people. You can do that through just going to a coffee shop and meeting new people, set up a kind of a regular thing to get to know people. Some people like to, to be on social media. So what do you do? You go to a coffee shop and say, hey, what are you drinking? <laughs> That's exactly what you do. Well, here, here's what <laughs> happens. mind if I sit down? Here's what, no, get the hell out of here. I'm here, reading the paper. <laughs> no, here's, here's what happens is this. So you probably have a friend or acquaintance that you start this with, and you probably meet some people. I mean, if you, if you show up roughly the same time, each week or even every day, you're going to start to see the same people and start to carry on conversations. And next thing you know, you're part of a community. Joe, you and I have a we have plenty of networking opportunities at, at Pure Financial because we've got over 50 people. We've got 1,800 plus clients. But when you retire, it's, it's not as easy. You kind of have to make a, a greater effort to continue that. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I've been going to the same spin classes for years. How many people do you, have you met? I, I see the same faces. I don't say hi. It's like five five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I got a hat on. I'm tired. I want to get my workout and get out. Maybe I should. I'll, I'll practice that over the summer. Well, and some people do it through their church. Uh, some people do it through volunteer organizations or hobbies. You know, you get to know like-minded people. Whatever. There's there's different ways to do it. Maybe you going to a coffee shop isn't going to be, especially yeah. since you don't drink coffee. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Number six is um, deciding how much you want to or need to work. And uh, we know that uh, there are benefits of working in terms of keeping sharp, the, the whole social network that we just talked about. And of course, uh, uh, adding purpose and, and additional income. And for some people, that's going to be a, a very key part, the financial part, right, which is not everyone has saved enough to live the kind of retirement they want. And so then it's, if you really need to work, then it's a matter of looking at it, whether it's, okay, can I, can I sort of cut out my expenses because I don't really want to work at all? That's obviously one choice. Or no, I want to have a certain lifestyle and maybe you got to work part-time or be a consultant or something. Sometimes though, Joe, I think a lot of people assume they're going to retire. It's going to be easy to be a consultant, to make half of, of what I made work in a quarter of the time. That's that's not been our experience with folks that have tried that. It's very, very challenging. There's multiple scenarios. Got an early retirement. Maybe it's a, a, a you know nice little golden handshake, right? Yeah. 100000 bucks. All right, yeah, I'm taking it. I've been right. working for this company for 30 years. And I'm going to take a little hiatus of six, eight months, and then I'm going to go back out there and consult. Right. A year goes by. How's that consulting gig going? Right. Two years go by. You know, oops, right? I need to get a lot more money out of my retirement accounts. Right? Well, that wasn't in the plan. You thought you were going to make $150,000 consulting in a year. Right. <laughs> right? So you have to be realistic. Yeah, do. I think it's true for some people to get that gig, but I think people sugarcoat. I, I, don't, I don't get it, man. It's like, all right, well, yeah, yeah I think I'll make a, you know, 150000 What are you talking about? No, that's, that's it's, really it's, difficult it's, to do. It's easier said than done. Right. Joe, uh, seven and eight are related. Creating a retirement budget, finding new ways to cut expenses. No one likes to have a budget. But here, here's a suggestion that AARP says is just track your expenses and income for a couple months just to get an idea what you're spending money on. Sure. And typically when you do that, then you get a sense of, oh boy, I, I'm eating out way more than I thought, or that's way more expensive to do this or that or whatever it may be. And then, then you can actually intelligently sit down and say, all right, you know what, we watch, we watch TV, we watch HBO, you know, a couple times a week, but we don't need the 500 other channels, right? Or whatever it may be. There's there's lots of there's lots of things that can be cut when you're trying to make your resources stretch and live the kind of retirement life that you want to live. Sure, but you can't look at Netflix of 13 bucks a month. And getting rid of that is going to change everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. It's like oh, that Pandora Plus. <laughs> that's, that's right. I'm, I'm spending sixty dollars instead of free, but for the year. It's for the year. You know, <laughs> yes. Okay. The sixty boxes. But when you're making six figures and you're you're, you're looking, well, no more Netflix. Okay, that's thirteen. You got to you got to get a little bit bigger 
thought process. You, know? you, you do. You do. Number nine is prepare for the unexpected. And unfortunately, things happen, whether it's medical or uh, medical is probably the biggest one. But uh, you, you want to make sure you have the right kind of insurance for whatever whatever may happen. Right. Right. I mean, I, and I think it's not always death and disability. It's divorce. Right. I mean, uh, where we've seen. You know, one spouse comes in just totally shocked. I've been married for 30 years, and, you know, my spouse decided that this is something that he or she didn't want to do. And now what? You know, so you, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you understand your finances, you understand what's going on in both parties of the spouses, and making sure that, you know, God forbid, if someone were to die, get disabled or divorced, right. that you know what the heck is going to happen and have contingency plans. Another big one, Joe, is long-term care. And a lot of people are surprised to find out that Medicare does not cover long-term care. Should you need to go into a facility, maybe you can handle it for a few weeks or a month or several months, but years? Maybe, maybe not. And so you, you, and you don't necessarily need long-term care insurance, but you need to kind of think out a plan. For a lot of people, Joe, by default, it's their equity in their home becomes what they use to pay for long-term care if they need it. Right. But you have to look at the surviving spouse or not, the, or, or, or the spouse that's healthy. I know, right? That's what most people, well, it's not going to happen. Well, if it does happen, it's $100,000 additional expense per year. Where's that going to come from? Right? So you got to spend down your assets to get on Medi-Cal or Medicaid, depending yes. on what state that you're listening Correct. to this. Right. All right. So then, all of a, then the surviving spouse or the spouse that's healthy is living off of peanuts. Right. Is that really the goal? Is that the plan? Sure. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divorce the spouse that's sick so I could preserve my assets. Right. All right, good luck on that, yeah, right? That's, these are tough decisions as you get older. Joe, the 10th one is is sticking to your plan. You know, you've gone through these other nine steps. you got a plan. It's, it's really easy to kind of revert to old habits if you don't sort of pay attention. Some people find a coach or an advisor is a good way to do it. Some, some people will, you know, one of their friends, you know, they just kind of keep each other accountable or in check, or maybe their kids, or maybe your discipline. Maybe you can do it on your own, but but make sure that you, when you come up with the plan, that doesn't mean you can change it along the way, but you, you kind of want to make sure that, gosh, I've worked out this plan, and it, this on paper, it's it works, so stick to it, because it's it's easy to, to forget. To deviate, yeah. Yes. I mean, what's that old saying, how many days does it take to create a habit? You know, you just want to be disciplined for a certain period of time, and then all of a sudden, it just becomes habit, part of your routine. Yeah. You know, so you, it, it's really difficult to get started. But then, if you are disciplined enough for 30, 60, 90 days, then it's just be, it, it, it's going to come habit, and it's going to be easier. So if you could just bear down and make sure that you have that personal connection or coach or whoever that's going to help you, you know, it, it, it will get a lot easier. Your Money, Your Wealth isn't just a podcast, it's also a TV show. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth on YouTube to see Joe and Big Al talking about planning for retirement over your entire lifespan, investing biases you may not realize you have, social security claiming strategies, and pure financial feud. What is the percentage of social security beneficiaries that are women? Uh, Mike? I'm going to go 45%. That is incorrect. Oh, Joe, you have a guess? I had no idea what the question was. <laughs> Watch clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com. Maybe, you know, a good father figure should be answering some of these since I've um, never been married. Okay. Um, nor a father, right? I think you'd be a better candidate to answer some of these. Some of the okay, and I've been both and am both still. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here is the question. Okay, I've been with this girl for a couple of years now, and we're beginning to discuss getting our own place and moving in together. Okay, I have a good career, and my girlfriend seems to have a nice job as well. Although I couldn't tell you exactly how much she makes, it's just not a topic we've really dived into. Although she surely seems to be living comfortably on her own right. 
Okay. If we are now talking about getting a place together, should I be asking her specific questions about how much she makes and how much she can contribute? You know, what is her other finances? How much has she saved? Do you think I should get a more concrete idea of my girlfriend's finances? Or can I just assume that everything will be okay and uh, she won't jump into something like this if she can't afford it? Uh, as a father, of course I have sons, uh, but well, I guess this is a, this is a son asking. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would I would say without a doubt you need to have that conversation on finances. It can be a little awkward if you haven't done it before, but boy, assuming it's going to work out, that's not a really good idea. I mean, if you think about if you're a landlord and you're bringing in a tenant, I mean, this is a little different, but think about your landlord. You fill out a rental application, and uh, it, you a credit check is is obtained generally uh, and the landlord evaluates whether you can actually afford this this um, this place that you're trying to rent I think in 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 matters like this you're much better off being open having a, a discussion and maybe you preface it with um, with you know I think we should discuss this uh, this and you know I I, I want to talk about my finances and I'd like to talk about your finances maybe you set up a time where you you won't be distracted um, but no, it's 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 very important to have these kinds of discussions. Can so be. you're going to set an appointment, <laughs> and you're going to ask for Here, a credit check. I need you to fill out this application. Yeah, there's an application for love. And well, I know I agree with you. Um, I mean, that's it's awkward though, right? Yeah, I mean, it, if uh, I, I guess if you've been with someone for long enough, you kind of get a little bit of an idea of what they make. You would think, and this but is I don't girlfriend for two years, and they, I I think, uh, yeah, I think I've had a, a few relationships. Uh, I had a, maybe let me try to think, maybe a couple girlfriends of at least two years before I, I actually met Anne and got married, and and I. I can't say I knew everything, but I had a, I knew what they were making, and I had a good sense of what they had saved. And, yeah, and because I think it's going to bite you in the rear end down the road. Right. Because if you look today, most divorces, yeah, that's, it's because of finances. Yeah, that's that's at least a huge factor. Right. Yeah. If if and probably the first because factor. it creates a lot of stress. Yeah. And then if you're a saver, she's a spender. Or vice versa, she's a saver, you're a spender. So, so here and here's what can happen. So then there's she, resentment, and right. then you're spending my money, and what do you do? You know. So she may, and, and maybe it's you. I don't, I'm not going to pick on her, but one of you may be a, a spender, and and uh, the appearance is you're living, you're making plenty of income, but it's all going on credit cards. Right. And then you get together, and it's, it's just a house of cards. Right. It falls apart. Right. Yeah, that's tough. It's it's. I don't know. I've never had a, you know, with my last girlfriend. It wasn't like, hey, let's Did set a the time, <laughs> and please fill out this credit application. Well, but the- I know. I mean, because like she would f- complain and freak out to me. She's like, you know, I got eight bucks left in my checking account, and I'm like, how the hell do you live? <laughs> you know. And then so I I I I've helped her. Right. You know, I helped her. Um. You know, with a lot of different things. Sure. And well, I, and I'm basing that on the fact that they've been together for two years and have not had these kinds of talks. Right. So I'm, I'm guessing it's awkward. I mean, I, these kinds of talks can be awkward for anybody. Uh, but uh, I, but I think yeah, we've seen, you know, couples that are married that still try to keep everything kind of private and separate. Right. You know, no, I don't want. And it's like. Well, and, and I would say that's it's probably more common when it's a second or third right. marriage. Right, and both, I guess, both spouses have assets. They have assets. They have their own money, and and in some cases, we've seen husband or wife with the money, and they just don't really want to share it with the other one. And certainly, that's your prerogative. But man, I think when you're first starting out, being open and communicating is is much better than not. All right, that was very good advice, Alan. Good. So now when you become a dad, you know what to say. Thank you. I'm going to go back to this podcast. Or <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my wife. In 20 years my from future now. future <laughs> ex-wife. 
I guess, <laughs> wherever she's at. <laughs> I've got you. I, I think the office pool has you getting married at 57. Age 57? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. That's I, awful. I'm not, no, it's not true. Oh, I got about 15 years. Yeah. All right. 15 years to get your act together. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's see. My wife owns an LLC. So that's a limited liability company. Okay. Will she be able to open a solo 401k or SEP IRA? Does money invested have to be directly from proceeds of her LLC? Oh, these are great questions. So uh, the first answer is yes. You can set up a solo 401k if you don't have any employees. We'll make that qualification. A solo 401k means there's only one participant, meaning you, the owner. So if you have employees, and an employee is defined as somebody that works more than 1,000 hours per year for you, if you have someone that works very part-time, it's less than that, then they're, they're not considered an employee for this purpose, and you can still have a solo 401k. Now, that solo 401k allows you to put up to $18,000 of your profits in the LLC, and your profits in the LLC are considered your earned income. In other words, it's kind of just like your salary. So you do have to have profits to be able to put the $18,000 in. If your profits are $10,000, let us just say, then you could put $10,000 into that solo 401k. And it's for you accountants out there. It's a little trickier. There's a couple other calculations. But that's, that's roughly the idea is you can put in what your profit is up to $18,000. And if you're 50 and older, it's $24,000. Right? That's the amount that you can actually put into this. Whether you actually fund it directly from the LLC, because uh, a, a lot of people will take their profit out and spend it, and then, oh, after the fact, because you can do this, you have to set up the plan by December 31st, but you can actually make the contribution all the way up until when you file your tax return in the following year, uh, which could be as late as October 15th for, you know, for an individual on extension. Uh, so you can, um, and you've already spent the money. So here's the way that you do that is you can loan money back to um, the LLC, and the L and then the LLC has the money. You, you probably want to make that payment to the 401k from the LLC. That's a lot cleaner. But yet, then, then there's another issue. Now we're getting going deep. Is if you don't have enough tax basis in the LLC at year end, meaning that there's there's no assets because you, you drew all the money, then you may not be able to actually make that contribution because you can't take a deduction if you don't actually have basis in the entity. Now, that's a little trickier. Uh, you can call me on that or you can talk to your accountant for more explanation on that. But the, the basic rule is that, yeah, it doesn't have to be those the, the those actual It's, it's not like a payroll like if if I'm working for a firm like I do, so my 401k contributions are directly from my paycheck. But if I'm self-employed, I can make larger or smaller contributions. I have a little bit more flexibility. Well, you do. That's a really good point you bring up, Joe, because when you're an LLC or sole proprietorship, you just make a single contribution and it can be it can be the employee contribution that's $18,000 it could be the employer part right which is which in the LLC world is 20% uh, of your of your salary uh, when you're an S corp, it's different though. When you're an S corp, you only can do these contributions from your actual salary, not the profits from the S corporation. And the employee part, the eighteen thousand dollars, has to come out of your salary. So it depends upon your entity, I guess, as to how you actually have to do this. Right. So it gets a little bit confusing, but you might have more flexibility. Um, but I think they're on the right track to take a look. All right, well, here, if I'm a sole proprietor, I have an LLC, can they set up a solo 401k or a SEP plan uh, versus maybe just a standard IRA? Because the SEP or the solo 401k, you can put a lot more dollars in. Right. Now, this whole tax basis rule, some accountants will argue that since it's a, it's a single-member LLC, if that's what it is, just you as the owner, it's, it, it's a disregarded entity for federal tax purposes. And then in that sense, there really isn't a basis issue because it's all, it's all one and the same. It's, it's you. <laughs> you and your LLC are the same. Right. So anyway, that issue can some some accountants would say that's that's a moot point in that example. All right. Next week, Big L will still be out of town. I have to go to Minnesota to see my niece graduate from high school. 
And uh, so we'll be back in a few weeks. We'll see you later. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. So to recap today's show, the Department of Labor fiduciary rule is a good thing because it means financial planners are required to look out for your best interests. When choosing a financial advisor, don't be like Big Al with his travel agent. Find out how they get paid. Determine your goals, finances, budget, and health situation to make sure you're prepared for retirement. And if you're moving in with your girlfriend, definitely discuss finances first. In just about all aspects of today's show, communication and preparation are key. Joe Anderson would especially like to thank his idol, Joe Salcihai, from the Stacking Benjamins podcast for coming on Your Money, Your Wealth while waiting for the restraining order to come through. Check out stackingbenjamins.com. Subscribe to this podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through the this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.